My pleasure to welcome in the Attorney General for the state of Connecticut, William Tong. Last time I saw the Attorney General, he was walking down Main Street on the 4th of July. Did you have a good time that day, Mr. Tong? I always have a good day, but it, uh, it wasn't 59 degrees. <laughs> it was hot. It's been hot all summer. Yeah, well, until yesterday, anyway. Yesterday felt pretty good. The funny thing is that this morning's low at Bradley is pretty close to the average for this time of the year. It feels cold. But all we did is just basically get back to normal. Back on Friday, you led a letter to senators urging reforms to strengthen the discount drug program. How's that work? Yeah, so essentially, Congress mandated a long time ago that um, that drug manufacturers sell directly to community health centers um, and to programs that provide prescription drugs to people that can't afford it. And this is to make sure that vital medicine makes the people who need it um, and that if, if they're unable to afford it or um, if they need help buying it, that, that the manufacturers play a role in making sure that they get access to medicine. This is called the 340B program. Um, it's, it's been basically contorted over time, um, like many things, of course, and, and the original purposes of the law are not being served. And, and some manufacturers have said um, that they're not going to participate anymore. And while I understand that, that they have some arguments, they're required by law to participate. And this is part of our effort to make sure that the 340B program functions and that community health centers, like community health centers out near you and Wyndham and Willimantic continue to have access to prescription drugs that they can provide to their patients. You also announced that starting tomorrow, you'll be convening an antitrust boot camp and gaming summit. That will be at Foxwoods and Mohegan Suns Casino going Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. What are you trying to get accomplished in that? Yeah, so... um, I am the Eastern Region Chair of the National Association of Attorneys General. We've spoken many times, Wayne, about my multi-state work, how I partner with uh, my fellow attorneys general across the country. We have an organization called the National Association of Attorneys General. Its acronym is NAG, which is a terrible acronym. Uh, but uh, NAG has been around for a long time, and I'm the I'm the East Region Chair this year, so I, um, it's, it's my job to hold a conference. I'm holding it at Mohegan, Foxwoods, and in Mystic. Uh, I want people from around the country to see Mystic and how wonderful um, Eastern Connecticut is. And so we're focused on an area in which I've been a leader, in which Connecticut has been a leader, and that's an antitrust. And, and you know, we're leading the national generic drug price-fixing case, for example. So... Uh, I wanted to make sure that we focused on those issues. Sometimes it's good to do a check-in and revisit some basic principles and talk about them. So there's a little bit of school, a little bit of a a continuing education aspect to this program. Um, And most importantly, I have AGs from around the country coming here so we can spend time working on all of our antitrust work. Uh, And we're going to talk about gaming as well. Is this the kind of thing that's open to the public, or is it uh, primarily from the, the AGs to get together and talk about the status of, apparently, casino gambling? Yes, it, it's actually more an AG meeting. Um, and so um, it, it, there's, a, there's a fee to attend, um, and, and uh, it's really for attendees who want to focus on these issues. Um, and 
beyond the the national generic drug price fixing case, we have antitrust cases and investigations involving major tech companies, major social media platforms. So this is our chance to talk business. And what do you anticipate coming out of this? Will there be policy change? Really what's going to come out of this is continued work and collaboration on cases that are already ongoing. But we're going to talk about a couple of areas where um, I'm really concerned. For example, antitrust issues, consolidation, uh, anti-competitive behavior in the healthcare space. Um, We've seen a number of attempted hospital acquisitions, attempted and successful hospital mergers, um, we've seen uh, big hospital systems in this state um, fall into some serious issues and challenges, um, maybe because of um, their size and because of out-of-state ownership um, that has come in and essentially gobbled up our systems. And as you know, Wyndham Hospital uh, closed its maternity ward and uh, you can no longer go to Wyndham Hospital to have a baby, and, and that is a really big gap um, and, frankly, unjust to women and patients and families in your area. And, and that's part of the discussion. Like, why are these maternity wards closing? And is that because of uh, anti-competitive conduct and, and antitrust issues? That's really interesting, because I, I think that the initial thought when you hear that it's being held at casinos is it's going to be casinos and maybe the antitrust there. But you mean overall antitrust, including when it comes to things like medical care and hospitals. Let's talk about our drinking water supply. Last week, you announced that you joined a coalition of 22 attorneys general. Your opposition to a proposed class action settlement that fails to adequately hold accountable the 3M company for contaminating America's drinking water supply. This is a PFAS settlement, isn't it? Yeah, so PFAS, for your listeners who um, aren't aren't, uh, keeping up with it, PFAS is essentially Teflon. um, And and 3M, of course, is a household name, like Johnson & Johnson, for example. Uh, and, And 3M makes everything, and we rely on 3M's products for everything. However... They did uh, make and uh, were a leader in, um, in a chemical known as PFAS, P-F-A-S, or P-F-O-A, otherwise known as Teflon, which was used in a variety of applications. Um, it's everywhere. And now it's in our drinking water, and people call it the forever chemical. Um, it is now linked to serious health concerns, and we got to do something about it, obviously. Um, it may be the biggest environmental challenge apart from the climate that we face, and um, we, as a state, Connecticut, are all over it. It is um, an urgent matter for us, and we're considering all of our um, legal and litigation options. Uh, but this is a this is a settlement that's gotten far out ahead of us. We don't think it's enough, and potentially it could foreclose further action by the state of Connecticut and further litigation and further settlements involving the state of Connecticut and PFAS. And we think that's wrong. We object to it. We want to continue to preserve the state's rights to pursue 3M and other companies um, that contributed to this mess. And so that's why I oppose this settlement. Attorney General William Tong with us this morning. And here's one that hits close to my interest, and that would be 
weather and emergency alerts. That's kind of what we do here. And after multiple severe weather emergencies, your coalition is urging the FCC to expand access for life-saving alerts for extreme weather events. So this doesn't sound to me like it's specifically about things like the Chaplin tornado that happened on Saturday. This is more for for broad-based emergency notifications. Specifically, why is this clearer language access necessary? Well, um, it could include Chaplin. And and here's the thing. Uh, As technology changes and uh, landline phones, old copper wire phones are less in use and people do not have landlines the way they used to they don't listen to to, to unfortunately um uh to radio in quite the same way that they used to um they rely on well and they don't watch tv in quite the same way that they used to um the traditional modes of communication for emergency alerts uh need to keep up with the times and and those traditional modes are are not as effective as they once were. So this is us saying, you guys, you got to change uh, and make sure that if there's an emergency, for example, we just lived through um, this global pandemic uh, for three-plus years. We've got to find a way to get to people if they're not using the more traditional modes of communication. And that includes through their smartphones, through the Internet. Um, and we want to make sure, by the way, that that happens on a – and at least a bilingual basis so people understand the alerts that are coming through. So this is really our effort to say that this has to change and it has to change quickly. How do you change it? What would you do differently if you were the one making the final decision on this to get more access to people to find out about emergency announcements? Well, I'm not a technology and communications and broadcasting expert. However, suffice it to say that so much of... Uh, our communication happens through private channels. You may recall when cable came along that we mandated that that cable provide public access television. That was part of the deal for granting their licenses. And we think the FCC has to make sure that private channels of communication, for-profit channels, you know, like streaming, like the Internet, um, that, that they bear some responsibility for communicating emergency information. I'm also intrigued that you want to increase the number of available languages from 13 to at least 25. First off, I was not aware that you could get those things in 13 languages, but wow, 25, that's a lot. I mean, in the Stanford High School, uh, in the Stanford school system, kids speak 60 languages or more. So, you know, when, when you when you look at it from that perspective, and this is in, you know, a small city like Stanford, Connecticut, uh, 25 doesn't seem like a lot. Also, I want to get your thoughts since uh, the last time that we spoke on the radio uh, that we lost former Governor Lowell Weicker. And I wonder if he had any influence on what you do, what you did, and what your overall thoughts were about the former governor. Yeah, I mean, he he was, when he was in alive and in Congress, um, a giant and, and a lion. Um, and they're just... It seems quaint to say this about people when we've lost them that they don't make uh, they don't make them like that anymore. But I, I, in Lowell Weicker's case, that's absolutely true. Uh, they just don't make it. They don't make them like that anymore. And um, he he had such courage. Um, and you know, at times, 
defiant, uh, and you know, I think people maybe were frustrated that he didn't quite stop and listen and hear them. But uh, I, I think the flip side of that is because he had a really strong sense of what was right and what was wrong, and he felt like uh, with his limited time in public service, all of us have limited time, that he was going to do as much as he could to protect and defend and help the people of his home state. And I think that some people think of his legacy as governor was he gave us the income tax. But it would be fair to say that no matter who the governor was in 1990, 1991, or maybe in a couple of years after that, we would have had it anyway. So he might get the label, but it would have happened regardless who the governor was. I, I think that's uh, always been extraordinarily unfair that people criticize him for stepping into the breach, really when nobody else had the courage to do that, and and to, to rescue the state from... Um, a financial disaster. Now, uh, the people of the state have every right to ask, well, why were we facing a financial disaster in the first place? That wasn't the first financial disaster. It wasn't the last financial disaster. And and the income tax didn't fix uh, many structural problems long term, but it, it, it rescued us from the darkness in that moment. And I think we need to credit Governor Weicker, for his courage in that moment when nobody else would show the same courage. Indeed. Who knew there was a military consumer month? I'll admit, I didn't know there was a military consumer month. Today would be the last day of that. But you want to put a little red flag up to warn people about scams targeting military service members and veterans. What are they doing to these people? Yeah, you know, preying on older Americans and senior citizens is reprehensible and wrong it is also just as reprehensible and wrong to prey on soldiers and their families and veterans and guess what scammers target them too um i announced a a multi-million dollar settlement with harris jewelers a couple of years ago which set up little stores outside of military bases to prey on service people especially young service people with you know offers of of jewelry and engagement rings and wedding rings, but usually at inflated prices and at um, predatory interest rates. And so on top of that, you have scams that focus on people saying, hey, pay me money and I'll help you navigate the VA uh, and get you access to VA benefits, except that VA benefits are free to people who qualify and to soldiers and their families and veterans. And, And so... Uh, you shouldn't have to pay anybody to navigate the Veterans Administration. Um, But any number of scams that happen by phone, text, email, um, uh, when when people are are deployed, when soldiers are deployed, they'll target their families with offers of cash loans and uh, many other different scams that we need to call attention to so that the people who serve us and their families and fight for us and make sacrifices for us Um, are also protected. Along the same line of scams, with the uncertainty of what's going on with student loan debt relief, are you getting more reports now of people trying to scam people who have student debt with robocalls and robotext and other types of communication? Yes, absolutely. We've seen a real uptick in that. Um, And people need to be careful. They might get a call 
saying uh, that that somebody runs a student loan forgiveness program. It's a little-known program that nobody else knows about, and we can help you uh, save money or get your loans discharged. Not true. Do not listen to that. Do not give money. If you if you have any inkling that maybe there's some program out there, you can do your own research. Do not respond to somebody on the phone or on your text or on your email. Don't give out your federal student loan uh, ID number. And, and also people have gotten calls saying, hey, there's a massive settlement involving student loans, and um, you can get a piece of that settlement. Not true. So just be careful. Don't fall for these tactics. Mr. Tong, always good to catch up with you. Thank you for your time this morning. Stay cool. Yeah, well, it's been easier in the last 24 hours. That's Attorney General William Tong from Connecticut, our guest on 14 WILI Willimantic and 95.3 FM.